0: Welcome to episode 301 of the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. I am Dave Deacon. Yeah, we're kicking off our third year of digging up dirt on crops that are grown across the Great Plains and discussing ways, of keeping them going in some of the craziest growing conditions on the planet. You're in for a fun episode today because we're learning about one of the newest members of the Oklahoma State University's Plant and Soil Sciences Department, Dr. Liberty Galvin. We'll learn about her and her plans for researching and attacking weeds across Oklahoma coming up in just a few minutes. And we'll be covering a lot of cool stuff in this episode too, and you will be able to find information on what is covered on our website, reddirtagronomy.com. And as always, we start with a quick trip around the table for an introduction to the dream team of dirt and everything that grows from it. Let's start with Oklahoma State University Extension Cropping System Specialist. Well, once well, she once she gets rid of the grasses, then she can just go to the easy stuff, right? You know, right? Dr. Josh Lofton. Next to him, we find Oklahoma State University Ag Engineer. Do you have your ninja card? You lost it as in
1: misplaced it or you lost it as it it got taken because i couldn't answer the
0: dr randy taylor and across from him is oklahoma state university extension precision nutrient management specialist and holder of the longest title on the podcast you know what the grassy weeds respond amazingly to nitrogen fertilizer dr brian arnell If you're out and about this Friday and Saturday, January 12th and 13th, 2024, stop by and see us at the KNID AgriFest at the Chisholm Trail Expo Center in Enid. We will be set up in the Oklahoma Wheat Commission's booth, recording a couple of episodes of the Red Dirt Agronomy podcast. So come by the Chisholm Trail Expo Center in Enid this Saturday, January 12th and 13th for the KNID AgriFest. We look forward to talking with you, and we may even get you on the podcast. So let's jump into this episode with a very quick introduction of our guest by Dr. Josh Lofton. You are listening to the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast.
2: We have here one of our new (laughs) weed scientists uh, here in the department, uh, Liberty. Uh, Give us a little bit of background about yourself.
3: Uh, thanks, Josh, for the invitation today. Um, I'm Dr. Liberty Galvin. Uh, what should I tell you about myself? Uh, I grew up here in Oklahoma. I think a lot of people are pretty excited about the fact that I'm an Okie. Um, I went to Oklahoma State as an undergrad. Dr. Mm-hmm. Brian Arnall was my soil nutrient management teacher, and nice. here I am, back to haunt him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Do you have him. your ninja card? You know what? I lost my ninja card at one point, and I and it still haunts me to this day. Sounds like a reprint in order, because right. I'm printing this week. So. Hey, get me one. Yeah. Okay.
1: You lost it as in misplaced
3: it, or you lost it as it it got taken because of <laughs> <I> the <didn't laughs> answer. We're <laughs> about <laughs> to find out. No, no. I did pass that test. I did earn that card, but it was over 10 years ago, so I <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh I'm a, like Josh said, I'm a new weed scientist in the department. I spent the last eight years at the University of California, Davis. I have a master's degree in international ag development. I have a PhD in horticulture and agronomy with an emphasis in weed science. Um, A lot of my PhD research was really biology and ecology focused, but kind of used that knowledge to inform uh, timing of application studies. I do a lot of early season phenology. Um, so for example, like what environmental conditions are ideal for germination of our target weeds? Uh, what's going to make these weeds come up? Um, kind of things like that. And now I've found myself in the... Uh, there's two new weed scientists. I think that's an important piece. I am 85% extension, 15% research. And my colleague, Dr. Swati Shrestha is, uh, 70% research, 30% teaching. So we work pretty closely together. I do a lot of the applied stuff, a lot of the field stuff. Um, you'll see me at a lot of events, waving, trying to be funny, trying to get people to be my friends so I can take their money and solve all their (laughs) weed problems. Um, but Dr. Shrestha does a lot of, um, her big thing right now is, We're trying to identify herbicide-resistant weeds, um, get a lot of that information updated for our growers here in the state. Uh, Yeah, and I'm excited to be back here. My family's pumped for me to be back here. Uh, Great time of year to find myself back in Oklahoma, so I look forward to working here and working with you guys. (laughs) Helping you solve all of your weed problems, you know. Well, we got lots of them. So. That's the rumor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I the word I keep hearing over and over and over is rye grass. Um, a big part of my verbatim in my job description, I am a member of the wheat improvement team. Uh, my background in California, I worked in rice, um, rice cropping systems. Um, so it's interesting to go from a pretty well coordinated. Rice group to a very well coordinated wheat group um, yeah, so really working rye is at the top of the list uh, cheat grass is really high up on the list, wild oats uh flea bane um, broadleaf we kind of we leave those in the back because they're pretty easy to manage, but my colleague and I actually both studied um. Uh, pretty similar weed species in rice. Um, We both worked on what we like to call conspecifics. So it's weeds that have the same genus and species as the crop. So my big PhD question was how do you kill rice in rice? Mm. Right. And so um, I see a lot of that uh, applicable to the wheat environment here. How do you kill a grass that is incredibly similar to your crop? Um, And it's an exciting challenge to work with, you know.
4: Talk a little bit about wild rice and rice, it's yeah. Because a lot of a lot of our listeners probably haven't been in a rice field recently, so hey, <laughs> drop no. that down and you know, share a little <laughs> bit about the fun, fun and or no, I'm sorry, not wild rice, weedy rice and weedy rice. rice. I, I got see,
0: I yeah, there you go. It's okay. That's why I'm not speaking
3: today. <laughs> <laughs> so California weedy rice is a combination of um, wild rice weedy species and then a hybridization between weedy relatives and cultivated relatives and the only really the only thing that makes a rice a weed is that consumers don't want to eat it so in california the majority of the rice that we grow there are japanese varieties for export to japan the japanese people um their market is pretty stringent, if anybody's ever worked in like international exports, um, herbicide residue tolerances. Japan, the United Nations, uh, I'm sorry, the European Union, they're pretty strict on what their food commodities look like. They want their rice to be white, and they don't want it to be chalky. All of the quality, a lot of the similar quality standards that we have for wheat, you know, cooking quality. All of that same stuff applies to rice. Um, fun fact, all of the sushi rice in the United States is grown in California. And so imagine you're at your fancy sushi restaurant and you look down and your sushi roll has red rice and black rice. Like this this wasn't what I was expecting. I'm a little grumpy about it. So that's really like why we focus on weedy rice is because people don't like it.
4: I mean, that seems very holistic. That should be the next marketplace. Is oh, yeah. the uh, <laughs> multi-grain rice? Um, wow, sorry.
3: <laughs> I tell you what, people uh, people that are not very involved in agriculture, you know, they love to promote some of these off-brand <laughs> uh, varieties, and one of the um, non-certified varieties in California, it's a red brand rice, we actually found that one of our dominant weedy species was a cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually got to work with the California Crop Improvement Association um, and met some really cool guys here with the um, Oklahoma, what is it, the OGI, the Oklahoma Genetics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, really similar to the crop improvement folks, um, and that's something that I think is Uh, an exciting opportunity to work with these quality assurance type people you know how can we use their uh um, like impetus and their reach to kind of tell the general public like hey the reason that we plant certified varieties is because we know what we're getting you know we know that it won't crossbreed or it won't um what do you call that de uh dehybridize you know things like that um yeah so really uh you know and that was something i started my phd in 2017 and in 2019 the um the california crop improvement association put into policy that all rice growers were required to purchase certified seed Um, and that actually really shut down the Mm -hmm. weedy rice issue Um, it dwindled and when i left uc davis um in 2020 actually uh, it is 2023 Mm -hmm. uh in may of this year weedy rice was actually no longer a serious problem Mm -hmm. and that was because of the policy folks all of the uc extension people and the people like me the researchers that were like hey this is how we can control it these are our options so so you're saying
4: run wheat might be a problem in our weed control (laughs) 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 no comment (laughs) One thing I learned
0: about rice, I, I actually interviewed uh, Dr. Linkquist and, uh, oh, yeah. and not not too long ago, and I asked him why do you flood the fields, and yeah. he said it's weed control. Yeah, and I never realized that that's that's the, one of the main reasons why floods are fielded. Yeah, strike that, reverse it. Fields, fields are flooded. flooded. Thank you.
3: Man. I know what you meant. It's Thank okay. You. I appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, but just like with any cropping system now that we've flooded those fields for over a hundred years and they don't do any crop rotation, right. the soil is way too heavy to do anything with. Um, they have now selected for aquatic weeds, mm-hmm. right? So the most problematic weeds that we have now, they don't care about the flood. They actually need the flood before they will germinate and emerge. Right. So um, yeah, that was another interesting thing. Uh, there's people in the, San Joaquin County who grow rice and they have much softer soil so we're really looking at rotational options for rice in that county but up where I worked a lot between um, Yuba City and Chico that they they don't they can't do anything about it and the joke is like if you see a rice a field that you know is historically planted in rice and they're planting safflower it's because they're trying to dry up the ground so that they can plant walnuts Mm. yeah Uh. And one of my colleagues did a lot of research on um, rice herbicide drift onto uh, tree nuts because almonds, walnuts, pistachios so much more profitable than rice. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So pretty interesting stuff. Also, really interesting stuff um, that I feel like we could apply here is you know weeds. They they like the ideal field conditions that we set up for our crops. And I think Dr. Shrestha has a lot more um, research potential to look at population genetics um, and and population shifts. But one of my questions is always, you know, now that this field has gone from rice to trees, are those uh, barnyard grass, Echinocloa species, going to also stay with the orchard? You know, and I kind of have questions in here in Oklahoma, just because we rotate from corn to wheat. Those are grass crops. You know, so what is our what do those weeds look like? And do they shift with the crop? Do we secretly have multiple species of ryegrass in the field? You know, and they behave a little bit differently. And that's why we're having these issues. You know, I have some suspicions. I hear. It. I hear Brian over. There. Mm-hmm. I, no, I
0: have
4: th- <laughs> things to say, but I'm not going to. Uh, I'll drop it. So you could yeah, you can just go right it. past this. <laughs> you know, I've been told very loudly lately that we have weeds because our soil management that weeds prefer poorer ground. So Yikes. that's why we need to regenerate our soils so that the weeds go away. You could walk past this question, or <laughs> you can address it.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I we a weed is an unwanted plant mm. you know and people will come up with a million and one different ways to justify why they have weeds but weeds are aggressive mm-hmm. and that's why people like me love to study them because in my opinion weeds are superior they don't they're not beholden to you know what you want them to do and they're actually really good at doing what you don't want them to do so i think it's a little unfair for people to blame it on quote unquote poor soils cuz weeds are also plants don't and plants love good soil, right? So you can't. You know, you know what?
4: Know. The grassy weeds respond amazingly to nitrogen fertilizer. Uh,
3: shocking.
1: <laughs> well, the, you know they've always said if, if tillage killed weeds, we wouldn't have any weeds. Uh-huh. You know, and or, or and you can say the same thing when you start looking at fields that have been no till for you know for years and years. It's like well, if herbicide killed weeds, then we wouldn't have any weeds there. And it's like you said, they're just resilient. And yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: There was a really interesting study done by one of my colleagues in Washington, in the state of Washington, um, Ian Burke, and he was looking at uh, cheatgrass and he actually found that um, across the state of Washington, so the northwestern corner is quite. Wet. I think they consider that like a temperate forest. Mm-hmm. But then the southeastern corner is pretty dry. The eastern half of Washington is pretty dry. They found cheatgrass in each um, kind of gradient region between those two. And each species that they found had adapted to the amount of rainfall. And so they will mature faster under drought conditions because they sense the lack of moisture and an annual weeds wow. job is to make seeds so that it can proliferate for the following season so the um, the late season drought that we had here in Oklahoma I bet there was a ton of things that just Oh, yeah. So that all of the seeds could be in the, you know, and if we had had rain, I bet they wouldn't have, I bet they wouldn't have flowered and seeded so quickly.
4: Well, if you look on the nutrient side, we, we, we can talk broom sedge, other things that, that show up when the preferred can't compete against them because they're so good at competing. So, yeah, you can maybe make your cash crop more competitive. Mm -hmm. But if the cash crop wasn't there, the weed would still be growing. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, I, We have kind of a general rule of thumb in weed science. We teach, um, I was teaching undergrads at UC Davis and we do kind of a, almost like a calculator to say like, okay, you know, we have X number of weeds in year one, so we choose to control and we have X number of weeds in year two, but then in year five, we're not gonna grow a crop so we don't have to do weed management. And it's a trick question because you absolutely have to do weed management Mm -hmm. because one Uh, What is it one amaranth plant kind of regardless of the species will produce 500,000 seeds, Mm -hmm. you know And only if one percent make it to the dirt That's a lot of seeds, you know, so um, One year of no control is seven years of control Right and even all of us know even the year of control doesn't mean no control. <laughs> right. Now. You know, it's, it's a constant battle. I could have
4: sworn the Royal thumb, thumb was spray and pray. But yeah. No, no it, it, is. Yeah. Oh, right. it is. Yeah. Please. So I was, I was part of a uh, dissertation that I need to go back and look at. It was really fascinating. Is it I was. Yours? A, no. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> I don't remember that one either, but that's fine. Uh, he prefers to not using, look at that one. Using game, game theory. In uh-huh. the uh, development of resistance, and it was a really interesting concept from econ on yeah. this game game theory and the development of resistance, and in management strategies using basically a competitive nature theory. Mm-hmm. How would you develop what systems would develop resistance quicker?
3: Oh, mm. you know that's a great question. I mean the. Coming from California rice, where you have five generations of farmers that have grown rice year after year, yeah. after year after year after year after year, they're like, I don't, why don't we have more options? I'm like, well, I because you used them all, <laughs> you know, like you had six and you've only ever had five and now you have one and it just doesn't work all the time, you know?
1: You do. It's just not called rice. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 That's
3: the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exciting to be back in the state of Oklahoma. Also, um a lot of my grad education was in this Mediterranean climate where in the summer it's hot and dry. We don't really have a lot of disease hmm. or insect issues in the summer. Cause it's so stinking dry. They can't survive. <laughs> and in the winter it's wet and cold and we don't do any agriculture in the winter cause it's wet and cold. And now I moved back to the state and as I was moving into my home in August, we were in a drought and then we got, dumped on and then it froze <laughs> and then you know just like oh right ah, uh, back home on the on the plains you know
0: spin the weather wheel and see where it lands yeah yeah
3: it's another exciting uh component of my job you know what's what's the weather gonna do you're gonna work
1: all crops i mean you said broadleaves are easy isn't it yeah that's a you know so. <laughs> Relative. You did relative. say that. She was talking in a wheat system. Oh, in a wheat system. Let's preface that. Let's roll back
2: the tape. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> can, can we get a review? We got a challenge flag <laughs> on the field <laughs> here.
3: Broadleaf <laughs> crops and in grass, in grass mm, uh, yeah. broadleaf weeds and grass crops, much much more manageable. Uh, but the real, I mean, everybody that I talk to has so many grass problems, yeah. and that's really the bigger um That's like our big target, yeah. And uh, uh, honestly, a lot of our colleagues have have worked in grass, Mm. and so we have a lot of regional pals. Um, Mutu, uh, down at Texas A&M, has worked on every weed and crop in the state of Texas, and he's a great resource for us. I have a colleague at Penn State who I was a grad student with at UC Davis who's done a ton of ryegrass research, population geneticists I think my colleague Dr. Shrestha and I just have a lot more experience with grass weeds uh the need is there and our network um has done mm-hmm. a lot more with grass weeds yeah, yeah. so so we're looking at, after those
0: I'm sorry it, so so we're looking at maybe two years before they're all eradicated three three years uh,
3: <laughs> so I won't get tenure you know, yeah what's that timeline Yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, don't
1: don't get rid of them until you get right. then yeah. we'll get the well. well, it's it's well when security.
2: she when yeah, she gets I mean, rid of the grasses, then she can just go to the easy stuff. Yeah, right? we'll yeah.
0: jump over to Broadleaf. the easy <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: the stuff we can see in the <laughs> fields. So, you know, uh, something pretty exciting that I would like to work on. There's these short-term goals, right? In our short-term. We really need to do a lot of timing of application studies. There's a lot of need for that. I hear a lot of people complain like, oh, well my neighbor didn't apply their herbicides until their weeds were three feet tall and now they're confused about why it didn't work. It's like, oh, oh, all right, okay. So that's, an, we can do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but I think these timing of application studies really need to get coupled with uh, like weather conditions, right? Because if a weed is really stressed, it won't take in that herbicide the way that we need it to so if we're applying under drought conditions it's not going to take in that herbicide if we apply under really wet conditions there's a potential for our herbicide to just go into the creek Um, so not just timing of application studies but um, those coupled with some environmental conditions because you may you may scout and do a great job and say all right nice i found my brome It's at the two to three leaf stage. This is the weakest point in its growing cycle. I'm gonna zap it, but if it if if the environmental conditions aren't right, that herbicide isn't gonna work the way that we expect it to.
2: Yeah, that's been a big discussion the last couple years because you know (laughs) we.
0: At least two. Sorry. I didn't possibly. Drop <laughs> in there At least Once two. Again, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to just sit back over here. <laughs> yeah. and just and continue. But, on. We finally but, got him to
2: talk. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's been a big, big discussion point yeah. in, in the last since 19. Mm-hmm. And then beyond uh, is is you know get good scouts and you know we see these weeds that are coming out and then you go through with something that worked but you know it's it's been thirty days since since it's got a rainfall and yeah. then you come back and the herbicide didn't work and it's like well I mean nothing. Nothing's growing right now. I mean that that plant needs to to go through metabolism for yeah. for a lot of these things to to kind of work. So that that's been a big and it, I mean even this time of year when when growers go out and they see weeds in their wheat or alfalfa or something mm. like that and they're like, well, I want to spray it, and it's like. It's it's not you know we need to we need to temper our expectations right now because yeah. nothing's really growing right now so so maybe hold that off until February and roll that down.
4: How do if if you look at the crop in the ground now or later and maybe this is where your research you look at it I've got a weed I've identified it mm-hmm. but I don't have rain in thirty days so if it keeps growing it will be out of mm-hmm. the growth stage I want so what are some thought processes a farmer should consider on pulling the trigger?
3: That's a great question. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> That's We're a go great forward. question. Yep. Okay. No, this is a good question. I, I'm also, you know, a, a gentleman the other day, uh, was talking to me about his wheat and he said he went out to his field. It looked clean. He planted and uh, ran a chisel, just a real shallow chisel through the field, planted And then he got all these weeds that came up Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, they are cool season annuals and the soil does have a temperature buffer because it's what? 25% water, right? See, I learned stuff. I remembered. (laughs) I've learned, I learned stuff. That wasn't my class, but all right. (laughs) We'll send a note to Jeff Addy that you were successful there. Yeah. Yeah. Call him. (laughs) Uh, But he was just so surprised that all these weeds came up after he disturbed the soil. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, yeah, that's kind of what you would expect because they've been warm in their little soil pocket and now you've disturbed the soil and they are getting exposed to these really cold air temperatures and so they're germinating and emerging. And so I wonder if there's an opportunity if we have some pre- plant opportunities to do a little bit of soil disturbance as a means of causing weed seeds to germinate so that we can target them before we plant our crop. Um, well, if, if you tell you know, an Oklahoma
4: farmer there's a reason to till, I think they're, they're <laughs> well, you've, yeah. you've got it oh 100% gosh. on. But.
3: <laughs> well, and we're not talking about serious tillage, you know. We're talking about a little one-inch tillage event, you know. Get your kids out there to kick dirt around It's pretty much the same <laughs> thing, you know. Uh, now, for the long term, you know, some of these questions my uh, undergrad lab assistant wants to do research and he was like, you know, I found a bunch of good stuff on brome from 20 years ago. And I was like, Oh, okay. So our short term goals are to try to update a lot of the information that is already available. Mm -hmm. Double checking that, you know, um, uh, ryegrass. I, I think Misha, Dr. Minicherry, now Dr. Bird, um, was the one that discovered resistance just based on a, the um, international herbicide resistance database? It was logged in 2019. That sounds right. So I assume that she found that post picked it up and she
4: yeah finalized it. Yeah.
3: So um, you know that was very recent. Mm-hmm. And some of our older publications don't have that kind of information incorporated into it. So short term, really need to update our publications. Um, I'm 85% extension and a big part of what I need and want to do are continuing ed courses. So we're not just updating the websites, we're going and talking to people in person. Um, uh, Timing of application studies, real like applied, you know, we need to see this info now because it's pertinent at this moment the longer term which I think from a nerdy science perspective is very exciting uh, had a really good conversation with Wesley from the mm-hmm. Mesonet mm-hmm. Um, something that I worked on a lot during my PhD is so you have weedy rice same genus and spe- it's rice so you can't scout for it it looks exactly like your crop um, and a lot of California rice is aerially seeded mm-hmm. so you can't mm-hmm. just look down the row and say like oh there's a weed it's all it's all the same stuff so what I really worked on was what are the environmental conditions mostly temperature and moisture what are the environmental conditions that will induce germination because if you can predict germination you can predict like okay in the next month or in the next three weeks 90% of the weeds that are in my top one inch are gonna emerge Um those are studies that I think will greatly help with this timing of application type stuff and just give growers a bigger window. Mm-hmm. You know, like, hey, in the next month before, you know, the, uh, whatever, August 31st, you know, on August 1st, we're sending out notifications like, right. hey, in the next 30 days, plan something, you know. Don't wait until September because you're going to be too late. Um, I would really like to partner with the Mezzanet. So I don't know if y'all... Um, use, their, uh, use their widget uh, and it links you to their website and they have all of those really cool uh, predictor tools. Yep. Um, I think uh, uh, Myra Duffick, the mm-hmm. new pathologist, mm-hmm. one of her big research projects is to validate the, um, I can't remember what uh, pathogen it is on the mesonet, but she was like, oh, this hasn't been ground truthed in 17 years so that's my big project and i was like cool i want to do that exact same thing but for weeds Mm, um those are that is a big project that (laughs) took me five years to do the germination study the emergence study put all the data together ground truth it over two years so that's a big that's in the longer term but i think um people like the mesonet it's so user friendly and if we can um contribute to that somehow from a weed science perspective i think that'll help people even more uh with their timing of application stuff so well then
1: you on your studies that you have now then what are do you know what data you're going to start collecting environmental conditional data that you would have that Starts building that database for your tool.
3: Yeah. Every so all seeds are beholden to temperature and moisture. Okay. Um and you know, some seeds need light, some need nitrogen, some need oxygen, blah blah blah. But you can make almost anything germinate at the right temperature with the right amount of moisture. Um I also don't have a grad student yet. I just started on Uh October 1st. Uh So once I get a grad student um, or even a tech or somebody to start really getting into this, um, that will, you know, maybe we do look at solar radiation or something like that, but it depends on the species. There's actually a lot of pretty good biology type data like that from other researchers. Uh So if if a researcher says like, oh, nitrogen, Um, is imperative to the germination of cheatgrass, whatever, then we'll include that in our experiments. Uh, But I think just based on um, what the mesonet has to offer, you know, in California they don't have a mesonet. I was like, what What are you guys doing? You're supposed to be like a world renowned institution and you don't watch the weather, you know, like what? Uh, They have an almanac. Yeah. 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 They're like, well, 70 degrees all year. I mean, what are you going to do? San Diego, you know. (laughs) Our growing season is 360 days, so we don't check the weather. Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, and I was trying to build similar models um, for rice producers, but they were like, well, we don't know our soil temperature. It's like, oh losers hmm. yeah. <laughs> sorry 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 hey, this is, bruce lindquist will hear that yeah, no, this goes no. to california <laughs> i know yeah, yeah. So, just kidding it, just kidding if guys if the wind's right yeah it, it bounces yeah. and all Absolutely. that yeah kasim late i'm so at sorry late at night <laughs> yeah late at night <laughs> there is a time change right. uh but i think having that um pinpointed data through the mesonet all of those mm-hmm. weather stations and even being able to link personal weather stations to that uh will give you really good um like high prediction power, really. Yeah. yeah. My issue during my PhD was I, I mean, I'm just one person. Um and I had one field site because nobody would let me plant weedy rice in their field. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the plight—the plight of the weed scientist is that everybody yeah, wants did. you to do the research, but nobody wants you to come to their field right. to check it out. Nobody wants the plots so, where yeah. the weed scientist is being Yeah, right. I, I was going. There, oh yeah, that's that's always fun. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, there was a few plots when I arrived on October 1st that were already planted for oh, me. <laughs> I was like, oh, good, great. I'm going to go find what's out there. Those you know, are Brian's plots. But, uh, yeah. That's <laughs> because I took over the weed science class. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so that there, there's a lot of uh, crop sciences uh, direction there. Are, yeah. are you looking into pasture weeds also?
3: Um, n- not immediately okay. and quite frankly, probably not um, pre-tenure. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly because my background is very agronomy, right. conventional ag focused. Yeah. Um, my mother's side of the family has a cow-calf operation off I-35 down near Purcell. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spend a lot of time on that farm as kids. Uh, and even as adults, it's like where we spend our holidays and things right. like that. And I really, um, pasture and range are pretty close to my heart. Right. And I think invasive species are so fascinating. Uh, and there's a lot of opportunity with like early detection and rapid response, um, community science. You can get kids well, involved well, with well, yeah. like invasive species stuff. So I'm really interested in it, but it's not my current area of expertise. Right. And so as a means of maintaining long-term job security, probably <laughs> not what I'm gonna go after. Um, Unless Alex Rocatelli comes to me and says I have this problem, I need you to work with me on it. It's like, okay, sure. Oh my God, we got we got um, <laughs> we got weeds in my pasture.
0: <laughs> sorry, sorry, that's my Alex impression. <laughs> oh my God, oh, um, is he
3: Italian or is he Brazilian?
0: <laughs> I, I think he's actually both. It, it, oh. It's
4: Brazil. You have never mind. Okay, yeah, yeah,
0: okay. A long term
4: Italian. So he's a Brazilian yeah, okay. well, Italian. Okay, Italian
0: Brazilian. Years ago, whenever I interviewed him, he he was oh my. God, we do. I thought you're from Brazil, and then he explained that there's lineage back to Italy and all I that. So. Yeah, okay, <laughs> okay, like a, c- a couple co- countries, right? Yeah, came <laughs> into Brazil at yeah. a certain
4: period of time.
3: So, yeah, <laughs> Portuguese, yeah, yeah, uh, right. yes, yeah, types yeah, it's a multi pot, Italian, South America, yeah. yeah.
1: So, okay. so i kind of been doing the math in my When you talked about, you know. Oh, oh the, God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I do math in my head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm an engineer. Uh, so, so what is it? I t- solve differential equations at breakfast for fun. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> I don't. But uh, the... The, the the whole prediction part mm-hmm. of should I be getting ready to spray because mm-hmm. – and, and, and I guess the, the, the thing that I've been thinking about is, okay, what's our capacity? Because it seems like we're always behind on spraying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, we're running 90 to 120-foot booms everywhere now, yeah. you know, at, yeah. at, at, at double-digit speeds if the yeah. field allows it. Which is incredible. So, so you have this massive capacity within the field, but I don't think – that we have that broad scale, and, I, and I'll compare it to corn, and I've done that, sure. I, and, and I, I I don't remember the exact numbers right now at the top of my head, but I believe we have the capacity to plant the entire country, all of our corn, yeah. in a week.
4: hmm Yeah. We have
1: that much planting capacity yeah. in the U.S. that we could plant the entire corn crop in a week.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't think we could spray it
4: in a week.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably not.
4: Yeah. and Well, that makes so, sense. I mean, look at the custom planner versus custom sprayers.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the, uh, there's a gosh, I can't. I put this in one of my lectures whenever I give a lecture about modeling, but it's, um, I think George Box uh, was the one that said all models are wrong, just some are useful. <laughs> right. And so these models, these models that I was what? building, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a pretty smart guy, you know. Uh, these models that I re- was building, mostly because I only had one field site to validate, they were only 40% accurate, you know. Mm-hmm. And so putting these on the mesonet would, uh, from from a trust perspective, from a, you know, we know what we're talking about, I don't want to put something out to the public that they will think is poo-poo, uh, I would prefer to be more like 60, 75% accurate. But it's going to become more accurate um, if growers have weather stations in their fields. You know, if you go out and bury a data logger somewhere, I buy data loggers for 50, $65 and bury them. And then they're Bluetoothed, so you don't even have to dig them up. You can go out there. and um, And what that is helpful for is all all plants are beholden to temperature accumulation, right? And so a lot of those models on the Mesonet are growing degree day based and that's how these models would be, would be, would function. Yeah. Uh, te- soil temperature is going to give you the best uh, prediction because that's what temperature the seed is. And if your back 80 is a different temperature or it's higher up on a hill, so it's getting windier North or... face, south face. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you kind of, you take that prediction with a grain of salt, but I think it also helps growers know when to scout. I was about
4: to say they're getting used to that with disease models. I mean, it's not saying, because you look at the disease triangle, just like pest triangle weeds, you have the the environment, Yep. you have the host, they have to scout to see if they actually have the inoculum or the the start of it. So it'd be the same thing. It's a trigger to scout.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I guess I, I have no doubt that you can build something it's going to take time if you get the biology right yeah and then i think there's things you can add to it but the the predictive capability of it is the way that you deal with the capacity Mm -hmm. issue that you have Mm -hmm. because now you're not saying go spray you're going hey you better be thinking about it yeah
3: yeah yeah. yeah. you better
1: make sure you got a pallet of herbicides (laughs) in here yeah because the 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 stuff's going to show up Mm -hmm and then you better be ready to go. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, see I I think that's the the thin line to to walk because the the social issue that we've run into with like a dollar spot calculator, I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's been used on golf courses for, you know, so many years, but it's gotten such a negative whack from an IPM standpoint because the the golf course managers have turned that in from a I need to start scouting to I need to start spraying. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's, the, that's the thin line from a social aspect we have to watch is we can't make these into a, a application tool of yeah. saying okay, the right conditions are there so I'm going to go apply. Yeah. Um, and it only takes two or three good successful years, you know, because I don't think any grower would do it and waste chemical just right now, but if they see it works and it sees how easy they've got it, then now it starts becoming an application tool, not a, not a scouting tool. And I think that's a, that's a big thing that you have to watch is if you see, Hey, you can get ahead of the weeds here by doing this, you know let's 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 yeah yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and then we get into the same issue that maybe oh well they didn't germinate this week they're germinating next week well now that application's for for nothing because you didn't you didn't catch them yeah and so that's that's the other thing
1: but but you said something else earlier about citizen science on when you're talking about the pasture stuff yeah so now once you build you know you get something built that's where you come in and go Hey, are you scouting? What did you see on a north yes. slope, on a south facing slope, yes. on 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 hilltops and, 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 and creek bottoms? You know, and so now and you can geo reference everything mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. and now
1: then your database starts getting built and you're going, Hey, we have validation that this is happening. Yeah, you, stu- you still ought to go look at your own field <laughs> uh, so instead how, of fire the sprayer up. But How, uh,
2: how much diversity in, in this kind of aspect do you have? Like you said, you have potentially different biotypes yeah. of the same species and different species mm-hmm. just – in general, like like how how much diversity in that can you really pack into a to, to something like that to put on like something like the mesonet?
3: So it really depends on what the growers want, um, what your herbicide options are, right? Mm-hmm. If you have one weed and one herbicide that works like crap, that's probably not the target for the mesonet, um, just because low success rate for me. I need to be able to show that I can create a good product. Um, but when I was studying weedy rice, we actually had um, five different accessions that I would study, and they were all genetically different from each other. So I rolled those all into one study to say, okay, do these behave differently? The ones that don't, this is gonna be a blanket for those three, for types two, uh, uh, one, three, and four are so genetically closely related and they behave very similarly in the field. Mm-hmm. So here's a model for these types and here's a model for those types. And that's really where me as professor, Dr. Galvin is going to have to figure out how do we turn this into um, a better like grower tool? You know, Mm -hmm. do we need to have a wheat model or do we need to have a ryegrass model that is applied to all systems? Do we need to have like all weeds and corn? Um, You also have to consider seasonality. You know, Mm -hmm. there's our, winter annuals and our summer annuals. There's also a big difference between annuals and perennials, you know, so like if you get into Johnson grass, like that's a different, those weeds yeah, behave that's very a, differently. That's different
2: because then you got seedling Johnson grass versus rhizome Johnson grass, you know, and those those are basically two different animals that you're having to, to struggle. With. Well, and I, I wonder on this kind of thing, because I know back when I worked in rice, I mean, those fields were pretty consistent from front to back. You're working with Oklahoma soils that, I mean, you know, you got sand pockets and sand veins and stuff like that. And how, how much of, of that, like soil differences, soil textural differences would, would impact what, what you would see in this kind of situation
3: i mean i definitely from a from a growing degree day perspective you know your sandy soils aren't going to hold as much water so they're not going to be able to buffer the temperature as much probably going to see weeds popping up in your sandy soils much earlier than your heavy clay soils partly because of the physical requirements for the seed to pop through the soil but also because of that temperature buffering capacity Mm -hmm. um so, really, it's going to depend on who wants to give me money, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, if the wheat growers give me money, it's definitely going to be a ryegrass calculator. <laughs> uh, but I think you made a really good point of the cultural piece. Um, a big part of my job is continuing ed. Yeah. And I would not put out, I think I've learned enough from studying herbicides and in weed science to know that you don't put out a product before you deeply talk about it and give those continuing ed classes and say like, hey, here's the IPM ladder. You got to start with reading your old notes and timing your scouting events. And if you don't have old notes about when these weeds come up, don't worry. We've got them as a net app but it's not a timing of application Mm -hmm. tool it's a planning tool Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because i'm not the other thing too is i don't want a grower to call me and be like well you your app told me to spray and i did and now i have weeds it's like well okay you're right you're right (laughs) you know so so the app like you said doesn't
1: tell you to spray it
3: tells you to scout yeah tells you to get your butt in the field yeah or get back. your kids in the field, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. You send your kids yeah, out.
1: All of the local ag students, <laughs> yeah, all those County. 4H kids. <laughs> so you could take the, take it in a, you know one step. If I put all my parameters in, this is my field. Sure. And I put all these parameters in, then now instead of me checking it, I can get an alert. Mhm. You know, it says, yeah. "Hey, this field is one that the conditions are starting to develop." Yes. These And this is what you should be looking for. Here's a picture of it, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you see yeah. this little critter out there, you know, warm the sprayer up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Or if yeah. you see certain a, a certain number of them.
3: But. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's also, uh, you know, out here in this field here at the agronomy farm, um, uh, plot number 16, it's got bromus in it, cheatgrass. Uh, well, I started an experiment out there um with uh Ryan Bryant from UPL. Mm-hmm. Um really excited about the Iron Gate technology. They've been testing it up in Kansas for a while. It's specifically for cheatgrass control and um that field hasn't been seeded with any cheatgrass in a while. And so I was like, "Hey, before I commit to this study, let me go out and see if I have any." And I'm looking on the OSU website trying to figure out what um you know, freshly emerged uh bromus looks like. like oh dang i got to figure you know i we need to update these publications you know i found it it's little it was very little but um i think that's another piece can we also do a community science project to get a bunch of people to send us pictures of their brome and then and then sift through it, and be like, oh, this is actually rye grass, you know, this is goat grass, like this isn't, you know.
4: When I was new faculty, one of the things I did on extension was do a annual uh, nutrient deficiency contest.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
4: And so I built a library. <laughs> who has the most efficient? No, well, no, the best picture. So it's was like the best picture came in. See my buckle? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Taylor <laughs> won every year. Deficient. <laughs> but. <laughs> Sorry. A, a photo Sorry. contest, right? Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. I built my library for class off of that that contest. I'd give out a couple hats or a jacket or something yeah. every year. And it was. Had a it really,
0: yeah. And a buckle. Yeah. <laughs> we and to
4: a buckle. And a the buckle champion. <laughs> <to the>
3: champion. <laughs> something. Uh, something you know, I'm new faculty, so all these ideas are floating around in my head and I need to sit down for a week and organize my thoughts, but it doesn't um, do any good. I, yeah, <laughs> I know. Now I just have <laughs> a now I just have a flow chart on the wall, you know, like it's not um but we uh Dr. Shreshla and I um really want to try to reinvigorate the uh, herbicide screening program. Um, if people expect or suspect that they have resistance or even tolerance in their fields, they can send us their weeds, um, send us some seed. We will grow it out and spray it. Um, either send them a report or not. You know, some people might be like, Oh, I just, you know, get it out of here. um, that is going to do a lot of different things. It's going to help Dr. Shrestha formulate more um, in-depth research questions, but it's also going to help me figure out what are growers dealing with. Um, several of my colleagues at UC Davis formulated whole PhDs based on um, uh, uh, based on these program results. Um, they're finding like chromosome poor timing of application. Uh, The weed that they were targeting actually had delayed emergence and required three weeks of wet chilling. And that's what, you know, there's like all these little pieces and we don't know what's happening until growers um, send us something. So we wanted to reinvigorate um, that screening program. But wouldn't it be cool to try to engage uh, 4-H or FFA to do some kind of... um, like a, uh, almost like this nutrient deficiency, but but do uh, not just scouting, but weed identification. You know, and grasses are so difficult to differentiate. So can we do some kind of continuing ed where we don't just work with growers and adults, we also work with kids, because little kids are yeah. very close to the ground already, That's right? Really, yeah. <laughs> they have, yeah. have great eyeballs. Uh, <laughs> and is there a way for us to kind of like engage 4-H, Reinvigorate the spraying program. Get people interested in uh, weed science um, because weed science is exciting. You guys, you know, (laughs) you like. I don't have to tell you guys. So (laughs) there, there's a lot of things in the works. uh, But um, timing of application, figuring out herbicide resistance, uh, and doing a lot of that through this screening program is on the agenda.
1: I I would tell faculty and I usually when you when you start your career in uh, the first year, you're taking out fence on both sides of the road. Yeah, you're because there's there's everywhere. You're and by the second year, you're mostly missing the fence and you're just in the ditches. <laughs> <a lot. laughs> by about the third year, you're actually in your lane a lot of time. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so but it, it is it's because there's cause there's opportunities everywhere and and, oh, yeah. and you've got good ideas and I think that the the things that you're 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 planning. Are really good they're achievable yeah i like the long-term goal because that's a that's a tool that, that really you know can help people and yeah and motivate them i think to do some of these social things we talked about scouting and some yeah. things like that
4: yeah but how long until you're back in the ditch? That's, that, that, that happens, that's happens yeah. all the time. That's when you're
1: about ready to retire and your eyesight's not what it used to be. <laughs> but the nice thing is you're driving slower. Yeah. <laughs> you, I'm so. going the wrong direction anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and my turn
3: signal's on all the time. <laughs> you're always trying to turn left from the right lane. Yeah. Yep.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming in and, and chatting with us on the on the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. we this has been it's been a lot of fun, and uh, again, thanks for coming in.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening in on this conversation of the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. Just a quick reminder that we will be at the KNID AgriFest this Friday and Saturday, January 12th and 13th in the Oklahoma Wheat Commission's booth recording a couple of episodes of the Red Dirt Agronomy podcast. So if you're out and about, come by and see us. We may even get you on the podcast as well. We'd like to say a special thanks to Oakland State University's Dr. Liberty Galvin for coming on the show with us today. And to find out more about her or any of our guests, along with any of the resources that we talked about on today's episode or any previous episode, visit reddirtagronomy.com. There you will find show notes and you can listen to past episodes too. For Dr. Josh Lofton, Dr. Randy Taylor, and Dr. Brian Arnell, I am the not a doctor, but I play one on a podcast, Dave Deacon, and we all want to thank you for listening. The proceeding is a copyrighted recording of AgNow Media LLC 2024. And yes, all rights are reserved.